0: Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, where designers discuss design. We're on episode 91. Step 91 is profit. That's right. We're going to be talking about designing for commerce versus creation for fun. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Sen Fong Lim, who we've sadly not had the last couple weeks. How are you doing, Sen?
1: I'm doing fine. How are you, Daryl?
0: I'm doing great. And uh, we have a couple fantastic guests. But before we go there, I'm curious, Sen. Have you been playing any good games lately?
1: Define good.
0: <laughs> uh oh.
1: Well, no, no, no. Okay, so uh, a couple weeks ago was Jeff Con, one of our friends. Uh, Daryl and I have a friend named Jeff Temple who uh, loves board games, and he every year has a little convention in his own honor, of course. Uh, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I got to play a couple games that I haven't played before. So MEX versus Minions, mm. um, which is fun. I mean, it informed a lot of. Interesting things about taking a video game IP and making it into a game sure. uh, because it's not at all related to League of Legends, right? So it is marginally, but uh, that was what I actually took away from that is like it's actually better to not try to emulate the exact game,
0: right? Interesting. Right? It, uh,
1: because it really, you really can't, I don't think, do a justice for something that's so twitchy as, right? Well. League of Legends. Um, The other thing that I learned from Mechs vs. Minion is that it's programming done right in a lot of ways. Um, So not that it's the best programming game out there, but a lot of other programming games, we get a lot of disenchantment from players who don't like their plans getting messed up, right? Right. So uh, like, let's say we're talking Colt Express or the granddaddy Robo Rally. Uh, and you're programming your, your machines and your movement and whatever, or your your gunslinger, and you say, I'm going to fire my gun, and there's nobody there. Ha, ha, ha for everybody except for you, who right. actually wanted to do something. So the, the lack of agency is very high in those games. Yep. And so a lot of people dislike it. But what happens in, in Mechs versus Minions is that it's a team game. So it's a hmm. team programming game, which actually made the chaos more fun because we're laughing at all of us right you know not just one person who failed and so winning is you know obviously team-based and that's good um versus you know i lost because my programming sucks or because of fate uh it feels very fatalistic in a lot of programming games whereas this one was was much more a thing that i could could do for a longer period of time i think uh over and over again because it was just kind of that's what it is. Uh, although I will say that it definitely needs the campaign mode in order to keep it fresh uh, because it's very simplistic otherwise. Um, but, yeah, great first effort from Riot Games, uh, the video game company that made their own board game. And the minions are obviously beautiful and whatnot. So I look forward to I hear to- a nice so. insert. Oh, yeah, very very nice answer made <laughs> by our friend Noel Eilman uh, at uh, Game Trace. Um, <clears throat> I also got to play Mystic Veil, vale, finally. Uh, Mystic Veil vale is a, a good mechanism that I don't think is fully realized in that game. Uh, I didn't care what anybody else did ever because of the way the game plays. Um, right. The game plays very much like um, you Basically, it's a race to see who can uh, get the most points out of this pool of points. Um, And while that's okay, it doesn't make me care about what you have or what you did. I just care about what I have and what I did. Um, I found the making of the cards very interesting. uh, But Mm -hmm. other than that... I
0: I have heard the expansions are already in process or maybe even in stores.
1: There is an expansion already, yeah. So I didn't get to that. And I
0: and I heard basically the base game was just to get you familiar and comfortable with the cards and maybe some of that solved with the expansion.
1: Maybe. I don't know if that's the best way to do it, though, Uh, because it was a lackluster game and I will probably not pick it up. Or, you know, unless somebody says you have to because sure, Um, in which case, you know, why cut your audience off? I mean, I talk about presenting the best game possible in your first play ever. And there's been a couple lately that I've played that it's like, really? that That's not putting your best foot forward. And Mystic Veil was one of those. So, uh, Although, I mean, I'm enchanted by the whole idea of constructing your cards, So that's cool. Uh, on mm-hmm. the prototype front lately, uh, Jesse and I have been working on a couple things for IDW. Woo-hoo! So that's good. And then obviously, Jay and I have a couple things for IDW, Toy Vault as well. So lots of stuff happening in the prototyping world. Um, games are getting signed left right and center so that's nice got a couple more things going on and uh pitching for some very interesting ips um now actually and today so uh, i was just writing up a pitch document for that so hopefully things will come to fruition how about you daryl what have you been playing
0: exciting well um actually last night i got to play uh a prototype by rob davio lock and key
1: oh good Uh, excellent
0: really good uh co-op game really fun um have you read the comic book i i have only done a little kind of surface reading like a few a few episodes uh a few uh stories in so
1: oh dude i don't know if it's your style at all um it's like gothic horror stuff so
0: yeah yeah it's pretty
1: it's pretty dark and twisted but it's it's amazing um and so it's funny because the first Game, the Cryptozoic uh, Lock and Key game was such a disappointment for me as for a big sure. fan of the show, and then hearing that Rob was going to do it because I mean Jay and I had obviously pushed to, to try to do that because we both love Lock yeah. and Key. Yeah, uh, no, you when Rob not got disappointed. It, you oh, were disappointed.
0: Oh, not at all. I was, I was in fact,
1: I was in fact even happier that Rob got to do it. And uh, I mean, uh, do you know that Rob like lived next door?
0: No. To-
1: like yeah, like so. I I'm pretty sure, and Rob can correct me. Rob, if you're listening, correct me. Um, that Rob and the King family are like next door neighbors.
0: That's hilarious. Yeah, cool. So it's,
1: yeah, or at least yeah, well, Joe, Joe Hill and Rob were friends in childhood.
0: Gotcha. Super fun. Well, yeah. So that was solid. Um, got to play some other stuff that I can't talk about yet. Um. Then, uh, I'm trying to think of published games that I played recently. Um, I played, oh, I played Kevin Nunn's, uh, Dragon Tides game. Oh, which right. Is yeah. Yeah. I saw Lee. that on the show. Yeah. Was it good? So fun. He has oh, this neat. really okay, clever, really clever counterattack that's built into the dice so that when you roll your dice to do your attack, you assess and then right away you assess like a counterattack off the same dice roll. Super clever, super fast. And it feels then like this little like, oh yeah, oh, oh." like you just got this like back and forth that that happens really nice. So uh, well done by Kevin and Luther uh, on that game Um, and highly recommend people try to track it down. Uh, It's uh, it's a lot of fun, very thematic. Uh, So if you're looking for, you know, a skirmish game, it's got some great thematic integration, uh highly recommend that one. And
1: then the miniatures are nice.
0: Oh, the miniatures are great. Greenbrier did the minis nice and uh, they did a great job of them. So. Right,
1: right, right. And then uh, it's yeah. Artistic Justice that Artistic
0: published. Justice is the publisher, right. so. Um also, I just want to give uh, uh, just a quick uh shout out some sad news um that we just heard about this week uh the passing of Donna Balkan uh our prayers and thoughts are with Jim and the family. Uh, Donna's is uh, someone both Sen and I have known for many years. She's very supportive of the game community. Uh, a smile, a smiling face that we always look forward to seeing at the gathering, and uh, she will be missed. So I wanted to mention that as well. Um, but with that, let's uh, turn to our guests and uh, start talking about our topic. Our topic, again, is. Um, Designing for commerce versus creation for fun. We have with us Adam Wise, another game artisans of Canada member. We're taking over the world. And we also have Joey Vigor, who is in Los Angeles, I believe. Oh yes. And uh and deep down in our hearts is, is also maybe uh, an honorary GAC member.
1: Well well Joey um, Joey does spell his last name correctly, so we'll give him that one. Oh I like he's, that. At least, he's at least partially Canadian in that amount, right? which is good. There you go. There you Indiana, go. so
0: British, yes.
1: Yes. sin
0: <laughs> uh, do you want to start us off?
1: Sure. Um, so today we're talking with Joey and Adam about creation for profit. I mean, when you got into this, I'll ask, I'll ask Joey first. Joey, when you got into game design, was it to try to make money? Was it to make a business out of it? Because I know that's what you're doing now with Mirrorbox Games. But really, what was your first... Step into game design. Was it money or was it love?
2: There's no third option. That's it.
1: No, you can't. What is <laughs> third option? They
2: all cooked down to that. No.
1: Yeah. What was your? Third, what would be the third option then? No.
2: Uh, the the highest future I had even thought for the game I was working on was to put it together as a package, like like a PDF, and then put it on Reddit, and maybe like some people on Reddit would like download it. And put it to glue it together and play it, and then email me and say they liked it. That was I, I. It was utterly inconceivable to have it go any higher than that. And the only reason why I kept going is because I kept getting encouragement. I went to the first convention just to try to just to try to find out basically the best ways to prototype. Uh, and then people said, "Oh, why don't you just sell it to a publisher?" And I was like, "Well, isn't that like selling a screenplay to Twentieth Century Fox?" And they're like. No. <laughs> so uh, then I met a bunch of publishers, but all the publishers said, oh, well, uh, we like this game, but maybe it could be Pirates or or we'll change the theme or, oh, we'll make it, we'll only make 3,000 copies. Um, and I, and I, which sounded good at the time, but then they said, oh, we have a two to three year period before it'll come out. There's all these little reasons why I thought, well, I can just make it myself at that point. Um, and then I, I saw Richard Bliss give a talk at that con, and he talked about Kickstarter, which I'd never even heard of. Um, so then I decided to kickstart it. So it's it's sort of a, it's, it's not one thing, it's sort of a, a snowball, but definitely it was passion for the game itself, just to see if anyone else liked it as much as me. Um, and it went from there. Mm-hmm.
0: Good. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to echo the question, kind of similar uh, to start us off with Adam. I'm curious uh, what what was kind of your origin story? You know, was it was it love or money that that drew you in,
1: or a spider bite?
3: <laughs> yeah. Spider spider bite. bite. yeah, it was definitely love for me too. Uh, I don't know if many people get into this uh, game design world uh, without a passion for games, and I think you need that to keep you driving forward and uh, keep, keep producing new things. For me, uh, I've, I saw some neat dice online and I was like, uh, I wonder if I could make a game involving some dice. I'd only really gotten into modern board gaming about a year prior. Uh, so I wasn't familiar with too many different types of games and things like that. I was only like kind of scratching the surface and, uh, I'm an engineer. So, I saw these dice, and I was like, I wonder what I could do with them. The game turned out pretty horrible. You know, that doesn't
1: surprise <laughs> me that you're an engineer. It really doesn't.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, it started the it started the process. Uh, and from there, um, I just wanted to see what I could do next kind of thing. And, and never, never with a financial goal. It was always I wanted to play some games that I would find interesting with my friends. I want to see what I can do. Uh, and I want to make something that other people can enjoy and only only more recently I've uh, had a little more success in signings and those kind of things and I'm seeing a little bit of the financial side and 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 dealing with uh, pitching to publishers and all that but uh, definitely definitely passion.
0: Awesome uh, Joey, bouncing back to you. Uh, when you are designing Especially now, you know, the 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 early passion days are gone. Uh, curious, uh, when you're designing, are you factoring in kind of the, the commercial, the business side of games more? What kind of things might you be processing as a designer now with experience that uh, influences your design process? Well, the passion is not gone, first of all. I feel bad for you if
2: it has. Um, <laughs> Uh, my, but my key to that, I will say though, is that I don't focus on more. I mean, I fo I work on a lot of projects at, at once, but I don't really lose sight of my sort of primary, my favorite, my most important project at the time. And I have a whiteboard, which has, you know, basically in order the ones I'm most passionate about and I keep the passion at the top and all the ones at the top I've noticed, uh, always are ones that I'm planning on publishing myself. Um, so I forgot the question. Does that come close to it?
0: Yeah, I like it. I like it. Adam, do, did you want to add something to that?
3: Uh, yeah. I, I've got an example with one of my designs recently called Leprechaun Tractors. And it's uh, like a game where you build rainbows. Uh, your leprechaun's working the leprechaun is f- working uh, in the rainbow factory. And you're building rainbows using blocks, big wooden blocks. And it's an awesome component, and it feels really great. But it's kind of cost prohibitive, and it's not something when I when I took it to Origins, no one was really interested because it's a whole sure. bunch of blocks. It weighs a whole lot. So recently, I've taken an initiative to make it more palatable, more publishable. Uh, change those blocks into flat chipboard. It it doesn't feel as nice, but it, it's more down the commercial route. The game's the same, uh, but yeah an uh, example that I've done recently
0: absolutely yeah there's there's
2: one uh, experience I've had which is pretty ongoing which is basically I will design thinking of myself first thinking I want to publish this myself and then it'll get to a point where I'll realize you know this isn't quite the kind of thing I want to do or it's a little bit not up to the quality that I would want to do myself so I'll just pitch it to basically a bunch of friends and at this point all my friends are game publishers and designers. Uh, And usually if it's going to be a project that they're going to buy, and I've I've sold maybe four games now, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're ones that you can go to a retail store and buy. Usually. That's money I just assume I'll never see again at that point. And the only reason why I even do it, I even push it off on them is basically because I'm not going to pursue working on it more unless they want to pay me to develop it or something like that. Fine. But uh, it's basically like taking all the, all the screenplay pages that sit at the bottom of your, your drawer, if you're a writer and sort of just mailing them to the New York times or something and seeing if somebody wants it. And if they want it, fine. If they give it back without doing anything with it, fine, but I try to value my time more and more as time goes on, and uh, focus on the projects that I'm passionate about.
1: Hmm. That's a good question, so passion, I know from talking to you before, Joey, that passion was a really big thing for you for your very first game, in terms of it being uh, based on a story that, as a child, you and I both loved, Um, and so does that passion, Seep through do you find that the passion seeps through in your designing and if so, how does that affect? Sales of things or the profit <laughs> the end of the profit for things where um, you know If the other people aren't as passionate about it, and is that why you self-publish? I mean, there's a lot of questions there, but go ahead uh,
2: so yeah, so I make my living as a designer which may seem crazy because if you if you google my name or look on BoardGameGeek, geek you won't see much um, but the, the truth is that I have contracts with two different companies that hire me part-time as basically as a developer and designer for their projects. And I also run Kickstarters. And, you know, once the Kickstarter is fulfilled, I, I can make money off that. Um, so passion is an interesting question. I worked nine months on a project um, starting last year. I finished it earlier this year, and when I got to a point where it was it was sort of in a good good place, um, the publisher that had hired me told me we're actually we made a deal with the distributor and the distributor wants a lighter game so we've actually hired someone else to design a lighter game simultaneous to you and we're retheming that lighter game so basically we're going to go ahead and pay you your advance which was I think three thousand dollars which sounds like a lot but it was a massive game. Um and uh but we're not gonna publish your game. But they still wanted it and we basically had a deal they were going to publish it. So and it was for a theme that I couldn't have done anything with it, you know, on my own. So I was gonna take the money and say, okay, well I'm passionate about this game, but there's nothing I can do with it. And I s- spoke to a lawyer and he said, oh just so you know, if you take the money, if you take the 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 advance, it's basically just a buyout. So you can sort of walk away from it and and assume that that game is is dead in the water and i could not accept that so i sent a polite email to the publisher and said i'm gonna take this game re reimagine it from scratch using all my mechanics you you can't use any of my mechanics in your in your game and so i've been working on that game now for another six months and it's way better and way awesomer than it was going to be and that was money believe me that I could have used for rent mm-hmm. um but and it was and I also had my name taken off the game that that ended up resulting so it's 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 frustrating because you know there's like it's like a, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush or whatever they say but ultimately um you know there was money right here proof you know definite money and then there was this total question mark of passion and probably little to no money or maybe millions of dollars right and i always went with with the passion and uh there was never any real question about it i never regretted the decision but it's hard to make those decisions
1: yeah those those are the tough ones adam what about you In uh so i know that things are just starting to get rolling for you in terms of contracts and whatnot have you ever had to say no because of how you felt about the level of passion or interest that was being invested in your game?
3: Um, I haven't really been in that kind of situation yet at this point. Um, I, I'm kind of in development with two different companies on games that'll be coming out early next year. Uh, and I, I'm in, involved in the development process and uh, have, have say in... How the publisher wants to change the game uh, at this point, and that can be uh, a little tough when they're they're messing with your baby a little bit. But uh, both companies I've been working with have been really good. Uh, but you tend to want to protect what you think is the way the game should be, uh, and, and all this work that you put in. Um, so. I don't really have as great an example, uh, speaking to that, but, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this.
0: Uh, no, that's fair. Actually, I, I, I got a bit of a follow up question with that. I am curious as you're pitching games and going around and getting to know some of the publishers is a factor for what are some of the factors that you're processing while you're meeting these publishers? I mean, you're, Pointing to a couple examples where you were where you're involved. Is that something you're looking for? What other things are you looking for while you're pitching a game? Sure you want a yes, but what else are you trying to, to get mm-hmm. to know from from the publisher?
3: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I Definitely want some involvement. I want to have say during the process because I feel I feel very helpless this this game that I put so much work into uh, Just having no more say uh, from that point forward. Another big thing for me is uh, the publishers current collection of games uh, and, and and like what they do, what the art looks like that's a big thing uh, and as well recently I've been considering a lot uh, the timelines for a lot of publishers because I tend to put out a lot of games during a year uh, they get to a pitchable state and it's a it's a big factor for me how quickly a publisher can get something out to market uh, so so the timelines. if I sign something it's it's a little frustrating for it to come out two years later because a lot of there's so many games coming out these days it's so many new things can come out and have similar ideas. There's symmetrical design going on and then your game is kind of not novel anymore so uh, Timelines are a big thing
0: cool cool great stuff uh, Jumping to Joey I mean I uh, I saw a smile with the timelines of like two plus years with publishers and such I'm curious. I mean you you took you've been involved with publishers especially Often in the background, but in general, what are you finding from your experience? Are realistic timelines a if you're gonna run everything and B if you're working with a publisher because you, you kind of wear both hats you you've kick-started a lot of stuff But you've also right. worked with publishers, right? So the reason I laughed was because
2: in 2012 or 13 I was pitching Chaosmos to several publishers I think at the Gamma Trade Show or something and uh one was really supportive like 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 became like a lifelong friend kind of situation um and they basically said you know we might do this but just so you know it'll take 2 years to for it to come out and we'll probably sell you know 3 to 5000 copies of it and at the time you know I thought 2 years This idiot knows nothing, right? So that was essentially the catalyst for me wanting to form a publishing company and actually make it myself. But uh, you know, it took two years and we sold 3,300 copies of it. So it was, he was right on target.
1: (laughs) Who's the idiot now, Joe? Yeah, I guess it was me. (laughs) Um,
2: But of course, although to be fair, I've made a lot more money from the project. Yeah, for sure. Just because I I kickstarted it and kept the profit from it. But I will say also though that, uh, that and I had complete creative control, but that being said, I lost out on major distribution deals that he had in place and stuff like that. Um, so it's it's a it's a give and take for sure. But um, but to answer the ta- the other timeline question about uh, how long does it take me um, with versus publishers? Um, so Battle Stations is a game I, I didn't design. Battle Stations Second Edition I kickstarted back in March and you know that that game has it comes with 45 miniatures and there's i mean it's just a massive 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 box it's there's so much stuff in there and i'm basically the producer of the whole project and it, it we are about to submit the whole thing in like 2 weeks which means you give it a few months for for manufacture i mean it's going to take only about a year from from the kickstart to going to retail stores, but that is an insane timeline for for what that project is. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and there of course might be um, holdups along the way that I, I'm not anticipating, but, uh, but that's unusual. I will, I will say, and also the design of that game, Jeff, Jeff has worked on that game for like 15 years. So, you know, maybe the, maybe the publishing is, is happening quickly, but, but it doesn't mean that it, part of the reason games get delayed is because there's issues with development and especially with playtesting. So don't expect that to be a, a normal timeline. There's there's thousands of Battle Stations players who are also playtesters. So so there's not really a question about the rules of this s- state. It's it's really more about making sure that the the minis are moldable and and the cut lines are right on the on the uh on the punch boards and stuff like that.
1: Right, so it's more of the procedural stuff as opposed to the development of the game right so joey, let's let's talk about <clears throat> about turning that passion into profit. Uh, you say that you missed out maybe on some distribution deals, uh, you missed out on you know some little <coughs> excuse me windows of opportunities here and there because you followed your passion instead of the profit line, although in the end you might actually be more profitable. Um, what does it take? in order to actually see that, you know, artistic vision through uh, from a personality point of view, from you personally, what did it take to not say yes to that deal? To say, no, I'm going to do it my way.
2: Well, that particular deal was really difficult for me because it started out, I, I had stars in my eyes. It was a major IP and, you know, major, very popular television show They were talking about making at one point they were talking about making 100,000 units and they had deals with Target already set up even before the game was designed. Um, So it was nothing but stars or dollar signs, I should say, in my in my eyes. Um, And then I started working on it and I had to watch nine seasons of a show and fell in love with the show. I'm sorry, I can't mention I can't say what it is. Uh, fell in love with it, and to the point where I felt like this was my world, and I had to, I had to do it justice. And it took me so long to get it to the point where there was sort of a an emergent narrative that within the gameplay that felt like what the show was. That by the time it got to the part where we were talking about cutting stuff out of the game, it was it was impossible. And and I am also just particularly. Um, egotistical when it comes to that stuff because you know I knew I was right and I could I knew I was right about the game because the publisher was not interested in playing it basically they just wanted it they wanted it done they they wanted to know it was done they wanted to send it to play testers but they didn't actually want to play it themselves and they right. missed four meetings that that was for them to play and I realized they are they've lost touch of what makes what makes a, um, you know, it's a game designer turns into a publisher, sometimes they lose track of what's important. So to answer your question, how to turn it into a profit, the answer is you have to have a lot of games and sell them to publishers um, or focus on one game and know how to be a filmmaker and distributor and Kickstarter kind of person, you have to learn all these other magisteria in order to turn one game into a profitable enterprise. Or you can do the shotgun approach and just sell a bunch of games to a bunch of different publishers and hope that one of them sells more than a couple hundred copies.
1: Right. Cool. Um, Adam, let's talk about you from the other end of the stick. Is there anything that you would be really passionate, passionate about working on? Like, what's your your dream IP? If somebody said, hey, Adam, we're going to sign uh you know star wars or star trek or i don't know the hobbit or whatever and you get to work on that game what would that be for you and how would that change your design process Joey just talked about how you know he lived the experience what do you think
3: mhm um i've i haven't really thought about that that much most of my themes are are very non uh ip based um let's um There's a Brandon Sanderson uh, series of books that I've uh, read recently, uh, The Stormlight Archive, that Mm -hmm. I I would love to design a game uh, based on that. Um, But yeah, I I probably don't read as much as I should. I'm spending all my time game designing, so uh, I feel I should consume more media and maybe come up with some more uh, IPs that I'd like to work for... Uh, on games for but uh, yeah I'm not really sure as far as an IP.
1: Okay but how would that change your process do you think if you got that Brandon Sanderson license how would it change your passion versus your profit margins what do you think?
3: Hmm. Uh, I think there'd be a whole lot of extra pressure because uh, you're building on something that someone else has created this world and you don't want to let anyone down. So, uh you still got the this passion but you really have to I think I would be much more focused on the commercial side, uh making sure that this could be a, a profitable thing for someone else. Uh game design for me has never been a high pressure thing. Uh I'm sure working on uh the development side or the publisher side there's a lot more pressure Uh, because you're relied on to make someone else's dream kind of come to life. But it'd be an interesting new experience, I think, uh, to do something
1: like that. Okay, great. Daryl?
3: Yeah, well, actually, I kind of want
0: to follow this up with Adam. Uh, I'm curious. uh, As you mentioned, for you, you're an engineer, and then you're doing game design on the side. And I think that's true for most designers that, uh, when it comes to board game design, the majority of our hobby is filled with designers who have day jobs. and then as as Sen has coined the phrase kind of your jobby on the side is uh, this game design, and I'm curious if you have any tips or suggestions for people to manage those two worlds and what are some of the pros and cons to having it as a side thing? what for for you how how is it uh, a pro? to be your jobby? Uh,
3: it is a pro that I don't have to worry about uh, my income from game design paying the rent, for one thing. Uh, that, that would be, again, like I was saying about pressure, that would put on so much pressure. Uh, and I don't know if I'd be able to grow as creatively if I was relying on money from game design uh, to live my life, to support my wife and, and many cats. But... <laughs> Uh, my my wife has very graciously offered that if we wanted to downsize and uh, start renting a, a small house we could rely on her income I could do game design and that would that would be incredible but I, I don't want to put that kinda um, pressure both on myself and feeling guilty for having to rely only on her income so uh, yeah, it's very handy to have a source of income outside of game design, uh, especially being early on into this into this journey. Um, I've got one qu- quick question for, like, Sen and Daryl. Uh, you do a lot of co-designs, and uh, how do you... Have you considered, like, now that more of your income is coming from the game design world... Uh, How do you find co-designs? Have you considered doing more solos just to get bigger piece of the pie? Uh,
1: Well, for me, uh, the piece of the pie is pretty irrelevant. Um, Not that I'm independently wealthy or anything, uh, but I've got a really good job. So I don't really mind having more people involved. Um, As I get older and, and supposedly wiser, I recognize that I have limitations not only in time, but also in certain areas of skill and that whoever I co-design with has added that indelible thing that I would never have thought of that made the game the game. Um, And so, no, for me, uh, co-designing is probably the way that I'm going to go as long as I can. Uh, I know that Jay, the guy who I co-design with most often, wants to do some solo design and just designs on his own, which is great and good for them. Uh, It's just not necessarily something I'm aiming for particularly. If something happens along that I'm so invested in it that i can do it all myself i'll do it uh but so far nothing has really come along that i've been uh you know so against somebody helping me with it that i wanted it all for myself what about you daryl
0: yeah i mean i would kind of echo the same not that i have a nice paying uh day job but uh i do i am kind of following the approach that joey was mentioning before about quantity so for instance i i work with lots of people in the hopes that I can design and make a lot of games. Uh, And for me, working with people is a catalyst so that I feel like I'm continuing to be creative and working with different people inspires me. They, you know, at times when I'm not carrying the ball, they are, so projects are continuing to move. And so for me, I find, even though I'm only getting half, I truly believe that I can make two games in co-design faster than I can make one game by myself. So because of that, I and I just enjoy the process, I think for me uh, it it makes the most sense to to co-design on just a practical level with my current strategy of trying to design quantity. I, I do want to point this question to Joey, though, because uh, he he's tackling things in a, a different way in that he is doing quantity often behind the scenes, but also then working on uh, one or two projects at a time and really getting those projects to a great place. And I want to meld it with a question from one of our viewers. David Tomei uh, asked the question um, if I um, – where is it? Do you have a profit point or goal in mind that helps you you know, with your, for your year plan, like do you set targets or are there certain things that you need over the course of the year um, to make, you know, the, the design lifestyle possible?
2: Well, uh, yeah, I have targets. I hear Uh, that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I mean, with, with the big IP game, I did a cost breakdown based on all the crazy uh, promises based on how many copies target was playing on ordering all this stuff. And, and it seemed like within, within the next two years, I would have $60,000 of income from this game alone. Right. Um, I ended up making zero on the project. So that was a, that was a surprise. Um, but, but, but again, um, I also do uh, a little bit of design and development work, you know, it's not much it's a few hundred dollars a week but from a couple different um publishers so that is enough to just scrape by i don't i don't you know i don't have a savings account or anything like that i'm i'm totally um what adam was saying about the the terror of he doesn't have the terror of trying to make a living off this that's that's my daily life is the terror but um it's okay because I have a credit card and when things get bad, I live on that. And then when things get good, like back in March when when I brought in, you know, two hundred and some thousand dollars, things get good again. And um, and so there is a way to to function it. You know, I don't recommend having a family uh, to support or cats because the truth is I can barely feed myself and I live on potatoes and beans.
1: Um, so David has another question. Um, so Joe, you've walked away from a couple of things uh, where the profit or your your artistic vision doesn't match, but have you ever walked away from something where the profit isn't just isn't worth the effort that you know you're going to have to put into that, and how often do you see things like that
2: uh, this is this is uh, I can give you an exact cost breakdown of an example of that. Uh, so I designed a game called Gods and Secrets, which I'm super excited about. It's this light little card game. Um, and in fact, I ended up uh, getting a co-designer for, for the latest version, John Perry. Um, so I talked to the publisher, and the publisher just told me straight up, just so you know, um, we're planning on making 1,500 copies of this game unless the IP it's based on just blows up and does really well and which I think it will do but if it doesn't, that's 1500 copies. Based on my uh, 10% royalty and the cost of the game and splitting the royalty with my co-designer, I broke it all down, 1500 copies so for a game I've been working on for almost a year now and I have, this is the 18th version, I'm going to get $825 and I'm not walking away. <laughs> so. um yeah, I mean, if you have a good relationship with the publisher and if you're proud of the game and if they're not changing, you know, what, what you're proud of, then it's totally fine. You know, would I, would I publish the game myself instead? Maybe I would, but I'm really busy with my own stuff and they have relationships with particular distributors that I don't have that might end up making the game do really well and maybe we'll do a second print run that'll be bigger. But as far as guaranteed profit, that's that's about it. But it's okay, because that I, I look at that part of my life as a hobby.
1: Okay, good. Um, Adam, so Matt Dunstan from the UK, hi, Matt, by the way, um, is questioning, you know, does the perceived commercial success of a game become a consideration for you in terms of what to prioritize in your design time?
3: Yeah, definitely. I've had uh, <clears throat> little kind of... Designs that I've worked on on the side over a long period of time that I don't think will be particularly commercially successful they might be hard to pitch uh, I Have the perception that a publisher might not be really interested in them And so they're kind of kind of off to the side if I come up with something that I think really could be a hit I'm spending most of my time focusing on that obviously Uh if I can see something blowing up, it really adds to the excitement and and my process. I pour all my time into this, and and it comes down to passion. Again, uh, I guess it's tied into the commercial as well in this case. But if you can see something really blowing up, it, it'll increase your passion for it. Uh, I've got that with a, a game I'm working on right now, a party game that... I th- I think it'll just be awesome. but um, Yeah.
0: Well, actually, I'm going to follow up. First of all, plug, Grilla Marketing. Love that game. <laughs> uh, it, we I, We got to play it at Origins, and it was super fun. And it was so much fun, but I believe you got stuck playing it, like, th- three times, because every time some people started watching, they're like, I'm in for next round, so you just... You were stuck at the table playing <laughs> basically the rest I, of the night. I don't I mind. I, I, I like sign. Yeah. yeah. Very good sign. And and kind of along that lines, um, you mentioned before that you usually do kind of unique uh, designs or uh, unique IPs um, for your games. And, and I'm curious we, we have this conversation actually happening uh, on our GAC forums, and I kind of want to bring it in here. But how much do you think theme matters when you're pitching your games and making your games? uh and and how is that driving you for for instance while we're talking about kind of creating for your own fun versus creating with with sales in mind you know how do you navigate those waters of picking a theme that's you know super common and maybe safe to sell versus trying to come up with something original how do you navigate those waters
3: i tend to go more off the wall with themes uh i want to be original uh, that might be a detriment sometimes when it comes to publishers, but they can always read themes. So uh, I find it much more interesting to have, rather than a high fantasy, I, f- I find most of that stuff boring. I want leprechauns building rainbows. I want a bunch of players sitting around trying to deduce the meaning of life. Um, I want interesting themes, interesting components. Uh and that, yeah, uh, that drives my passion. I think it really helps with your hook if you have an interesting theme. You can bring into that that theme into your your quick 30-second elevator pitch and get a publisher's interest, which is uh, so important.
0: Absolutely. Uh, uh, I would echo that for sure. I'm curious, uh, we have another great question from Matthew Dunston. I want to point this to Joey. Uh, He asks, do you think as designers, your efforts in promoting your games in any way, social media, whatever, your connections, do you think that influences sales? And how much of your time do you devote to that specifically, promoting and encouraging your games and their sales?
2: Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with this because, unfortunately, even the games I've sold, most of them haven't come out yet. Um, But I am positive that the answer is yes. And especially if you're passionate about one game. And I've noticed that if I go around at a convention and I see a small publisher who has one game and their entire booth is one game, I am way more likely to remember that game than if I go by the Stronghold Games booth and they're pushing twenty new products, even if they're by celebrity designers. Um, honestly, I personally remember that that one game being pushed. And if I see that person at the next con, and if I see that person on Twitter, honestly, for me, um, when, you know, if they kickstart a game or if the game gets sold to a publisher and it comes out. Um, I, you know, I'm going to buy it, or at least I'm going to know about it. So I think the answer is yes, but it really has to do with being passionate. You can't just promote it in a sort of uh, generic way because people see through that. And honestly, people are too busy to care about most games that come out, especially if it's not a celebrity designer or if there's no reason to trust the game. Um, just be passionate and don't have all of your updates be the same thing. It can't be, remember, the game's being kickstarted on this date or the game's coming out on this date. It's got to be, here's another video talking about strategy. Here's a video talking about the different factions. Here's a video talking about where I'm trying to get my mother to learn how to play the game. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. You just have to be passionate about it. It does make a difference. Is it going to be a difference of a lot of money? Maybe not, but it's going to be a difference that's going to be worth it.
1: Okay. So... For love or money, let's talk about money for a second. Advances. What, Joey, do you think is a decent advance? Um, And do you want an advance that is something that sustains you or just something that, you know, makes the publishers have a little skin in the game or a little trust? What are you looking for in an advance?
2: It totally depends on the contract. If they can't change the game at all, if the game will be untouched, then i think no advance is acceptable uh, especially if, if, if it's a game where they're they're taking a lot of their time and they're trusting you to have made a good game you you have to offer a fair amount of trust to them if that isn't your contract which it rarely is um then some amount of money so that you know, you know is fair because often uh, there's projects of various genres where basically somebody could just basically be off the street, you know, and have a good website and look like a publisher and you don't really know who they are, they haven't really made anything yet. Them offering you no advance is a huge red flag, I think. If if somebody gives you even $500, that's a huge difference between, you know, they're serious, they're going to make this game or at least they're planning on making it versus no money, they may they may not really be that serious. Um, as far as a game that I'm passionate about, probably sell it to a publisher, I certainly wouldn't let them change the theme, that's, that's, that's that I'm proud of but it's not really something I'm going to pursue otherwise. Um, I would say somewhere between nothing and $1,500 is, is a fair advance. Um, the only reason I was offered the 3000 on the one project was because it was a massive, massive time investment on my part.
1: that was more like almost like a corporate buyout it was almost going to be work for hire
2: um not in that particular case i still was getting i think a three percent royalty on that particular project but uh it was a game that was inspired by another thing i had been working on so Uh to some degree yes i had an idea basically to make a jurassic park style game um and i was really excited about that but i was also distracted so i was able to turn that game into this other game um so the, the advanced partly was basically, well, you can't make that other game that you want to make. Right. You know, so, so it's in some way, in some regard, it was a buyout. Um, and then the stuff I'm working on right now as a, as a developer, like I'm working on a for months now, I've been working on a Paul Peterson design called dungeons are dangerous. And, uh, and that game, it's just, they just give me money weekly and I have no royalty and I may not even receive credit. Um, Maybe developer credit but but the point is um, that one i I simply you just got to talk to the publisher and know up front and know what to expect because honestly, very few publishers can afford to give real advances
1: right <clears throat> that's interesting uh, just we'll talk about that later on the after show but uh Adam, a uh, question to you ho cow we're uh, we're we're getting close to time, but my question I wanted to ask you is because we talked about this a little bit in the uh, before the show even went on air was um, promoting yourself. So the idea that you know there's love and there's passion involved, and then there's money at the other end. In the middle, there has to be some sort of promotion of your goods, marketing of your stuff. How much do you do of that? Um, in terms of using, like, Twitter and whatnot. We had talked about that before, so go ahead and see what you think.
3: I haven't gotten into Twitter very much. Uh, I know I'm tagged in your Twitter post there. I don't tend to do much on Twitter other than retweet jokes and stuff, but I should get into (laughs) it some more. Uh, I I found it increasingly important for me. I want to get my name out there. Uh, I want to get into this world. Uh, Going, I think, a big way of getting my name out there, an approach I've used, is entering contests. I enter a bunch of design contests, I've been a finalist for a whole bunch now. Uh, One of my games won the ION award in Salt Lake City this year, and that was a huge jumping off point for me because they got my name out there, Uh, Cypher got signed by Mayday Games while I was down there, they also signed another of my games, Uh, so that was my first two signings right from there. Uh, the the press releases from the Ion Award, again, gets your name out there into the internet world, and I had uh, a publisher contact me asking if Cypher was available. It wasn't at that point, but then they took another of my games, and that one got signed. So uh, getting an online presence and getting your name out there is huge, and that's what I've been working on over the past year a lot trying to get to conventions and, and meet people and make these, convention, uh, make these connections that I didn't have before. I had all these uh, what I feel are quite solid designs building up but I, I didn't have that network and so I hadn't had any signings and, and now that I'm uh, meeting these people in the industry uh, it's been enormous for me.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, we're starting to run out of time, but I want to squeeze in uh, one more uh, audience question, and then we'll get into our traditional last questions. I'm going to jump to Joey on this. Uh, We have a board game authority on our YouTube channel asking a question and uh, specifically for Joey, and I'd uh, like to get this in. So did Chaosmos open the door that allowed you to start working for these other publishers? Are they pursuing you? Or is it the other way around? I'm sure some people are interested in finding development work and all that kind of stuff. How, what's kind of your story on how those kind of opportunities started to arise?
2: Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> the game didn't sell that many copies in that it's it's not ready for a second print run yet. So I, I think maybe it might be a little too heady of a game for, for general audiences. Um, to a point where i'm i'm even thinking about uh, making a junior version of it um, but uh, but as far as uh, respect uh, from the game design community it's been really really life altering um, there's a there's sort of a mecca of game designers here in Southern California, and i'm lucky to be a part of it and because of that game, uh, a lot of people who haven't even played it necessarily. Um, are familiar with me and because it's got a couple of interesting mechanics. So, um, getting to work with Jeff Sidick on Battle Stations very much happened because of that game. Um, getting hired by Breaking Games to do some development work for them happened because of that. Um, and then the, the company that I won't mention the, for the really big contract, um, he was a fan of the game, basically. And so, he thought, okay, well, if he can do this. And I think also to some degree he wanted to use one of my mechanics in his game and didn't want to be a jerk and just steal the idea he he so he went right to the source um, and hired me to, to basically use that mechanic again um, and I thought that was really classy at the time uh, to hire me even though the project didn't work out for various reasons but uh, so yeah definitely I think if you focus on one game that's really special and put a lot of work into it it, it will pay off in ways you don't necessarily expect and as far as Getting hired as a developer, um, to some degree, you have to seek that. I mean, I don't really, really necessarily want to be a developer at, on anything. I want to be a designer for my own stuff. But, but uh, when it comes, you know, when it comes to the first of the month and it's time to write a check to your to your rent, it's nice to know that you have a little bit of safety net there from uh, from helping uh, develop games as well as design.
1: Excellent. Great points all around, guys. So we're running out of time. Uh, we should actually probably do a show on development soon again just because it, it's, it's something that's coming up more and more. Uh, but now it's time for last question. So last question is when we ask each of the guests to give a piece of advice um, to designers out there. So we're going to start with Adam and then go, go to Joey and the question is going to be revolved around you know money and all that kind of stuff um, and profit and passion. So Adam, I'm going to ask you the question first. Um, <clears throat> so give a piece of advice to new designers in terms of finances. What should they be doing in terms of something financial to make sure that they're not in dire straits?
3: Uh, For for new designers, uh, don't invest too heavily in your prototypes. That's that's the biggest thing, that's such a money sink. That's something I did a lot, especially early on. I still do it at times. Uh, Spending too much making your game too pretty. Uh, It can be a downfall, both financially, and the fact that you've got this really chromed up game that looks great, and maybe people are reacting to, the, to it more positively than they should. Uh, it's kind of a smoke screen for the design maybe not being as solid a, as, it, as it might be. If you've got a game that's a bunch of pieces of paper cut out, it looks horrible, but people love it, then you know you've got something.
1: Good advice, good advice. And Joey, same question to you. So what's one piece of financial advice that you give to new designers, or even experienced designers?
2: Well, yeah, I'll, just briefly to say on the prototyping, I would say if you're experienced enough to know that, you know, to have a little bit of experience pitching and and know that your games aren't terrible, then I would say do invest when you go to a convention to pitch to publishers in having your prototype look good. But other than that, when you're play testing, certainly not. Um, as far as the other thing goes, I will say um, don't count on, any money at all to ever come in from your game. And that will be a good place to start with your planning for your game. Because, um, you know, with Jeff, for example, uh, with battle stations, you know, he was going to make that game, whether he made any money on Kickstarter or not. And so to bring in hundreds of thousands of dollars was nice, but the truth is he, he has overseas deals for his other games, lifeboat and stuff you can't expect to make a dollar. If you expect to make money off of it, especially these people, they watch these Kickstarters that blow up and they think that could be me. No, it can't, you know, it can't. It, the exploding kittens happened because somebody had worked for free for 10 years promoting something else, you know, which led to that. So no, like assume you'll make nothing. And then, if it does well, or if it sells a couple thousand copies, or even a couple hundred copies, um, always plan to make a game crafter game first, and get it out there. And if a few people buy it, then then consider yourself a massive, massive success as a game designer.
0: Great. Well, you heard it there, folks. Uh, thank you, Joey and Adam, for spending time with us. Some great uh, insight and some stories hopefully that inspire and encourage you on your journey as you design and try to make games that people can enjoy and love. A little plug for next week's episode. Hopefully, uh, we'll have Matt Fantastic and Amber Cook, and we'll be talking about how to make a brand as a designer, uh, which I think ties out of uh, some of the points we had this week. If you have any questions or uh, comments for our guests, I'm sure you can track them down. You heard uh, Adam's gonna hopefully be on his Twitter a little more often and uh, I know you can reach Joey. Uh, he loves uh, a good chat, a good debate. so uh, feel free to pick their brains and get to know them. They're great guys and uh, they I, I think are a couple examples of the next wave of designers that you'll be seeing lots of games from. So uh, until then, uh, keep uh, playing games, making games, and I look forward to playing your games someday soon. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.